0: The views and opinions expressed by guests on the podcast are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast creators, hosts, or that of Blue Door, CAEH, or their partners. The podcast may cover sensitive topics and discuss triggering issues. Listener discretion is advised. The content is intended for informational and discussion purposes only. Thank you for tuning in. On the way home, would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the On The Way Home podcast. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite, and I hail from the great organization, Blue Door, I'm so proud to be a part of. We are located in York region, Durham region, Peel region, just north of Toronto in Ontario. But on this podcast, hey, it's all uh, about housing homelessness from across Canada, around the world. Um, And like I said, I am from Blue Door. Our organization does incredible work, working with our most vulnerable helping them to find affordable and supportive housing, all sorts of different affordable and uh, supportive housing options. We also run a very cool construction social enterprise called Construct, uh, where we launch people into the the trades, where they make a living wage right off the bat, have purposeful work. And we have a construction company that actually can help contribute uh, to ending the housing crisis by renovating and building housing. So it's very, very cool uh, all around. Um, And as well, we work with healthcare providers and have some healthcare services on site because health and housing, as you've heard many times on this podcast, hand in hand. Uh, So shout out to the great folks at Blue Door doing the real work there. Uh, So proud to be a part of that. We do not do this podcast alone. We do it with our good friends at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. Hey, they have uh, a huge conference coming up in Halifax. They've released their keynote speakers. They've Uh, put out a program with all sorts of amazing people from around the world coming together, sharing ideas. Uh, You want to be there. This is the conference to be at. Check it out at caeh.ca. You may still be able to qualify for the early bird discount. I'm not sure, depending on when this podcast airs, but regardless where you get early bird, full price, well worth the price of admission. And hey, who doesn't want to be in Halifax? What an awesome place. For the conference to be this year on our east coast of canada so check that out and they do much much more right you want to be a built for zero community uh they do a lot of advocacy work check out all the great stuff they're doing there and become a member as well of uh the canadian alliance and homelessness uh so check that out cah.ca or check out the work we're doing at blue Door, blue door.ca maybe you want to be part of the solution um check out what we're doing. And if there's something that if your organization, you see something we're doing that you want more info on or you want to duplicate, uh, we're all about that. So just give me a shout at michael.b at bluedoar.ca. Almost forgot there. Michael.b at bluedoars.ca. Let's talk about today's guests. Uh, I should say for all of our podcasts too, when we have guests on, uh, we have brilliant, amazing guests. We're so fortunate. People come in and they share their experience. That experience does not mean that's everyone's. Uh, experience uh, going forward. Uh, but they're sharing their experience. Some of it is from working in the field for years. Some of it is lived experience. They've actually gone through it and they're sharing their experiences with different systems, um, and what's happened with them and what they've done to push through or change things. Uh, but sometimes it may not be everyone's experience. and Sometimes too, we talk about some tough stuff. Uh, so we will add trigger alerts uh, when necessary to our podcast because you know, we, we uh, Uh, just want to warn people in advance, and we're we're working through some tough, having some tough conversations, too, about tough issues. Uh, Today, we're talking about uh, mental health, homelessness uh, on the West Coast. My guest today is Kira McDonald, who's the CEO of Coast Mental Health. Uh, Him and his team are doing incredible work. We talk about the social enterprise uh, work that they're doing out there to support people with mental health challenges. We talk about what better things we could do for people that are exiting treatment, uh, and hospitals to make sure they're not, they're just falling uh, on into the streets and not into housing. We talk about the stigma built around mental health, people's thoughts and how that needs to change and much, much more. It's a great conversation. Kier is a great guy, a great leader, uh, and sheds a lot of insight on into mental health and homelessness on the West Coast and how that's changed uh, even over the last 10 years. And we know that too. We talk about how 10 years ago, if someone came in and maybe they're receiving social assistance, you could find them that basement apartment or that bachelor. And now uh, that's next to impossible and as well, how complex the needs are today and ever-changing <laughs> moving forward. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's go to that now. Uh, we always like to have uh, awesome people like you from the western part of our country on the show. And you're doing some uh, amazing work. But we're going to get into that. The first question that I have to ask you, because I ask it to all guests because it's personal to them, is what does home mean to
0: you? Yeah, I I really love that you start with this question. Um, When I I think of the term home or being at home, I guess for me, um, it's really about being with family or or loved ones. Um, Being an expat myself, it's, uh, you know, born in Australia. So living in Canada, it's, um, you know, it's, it's definitely resonates a little bit. And, you know, but also having that that community or ultimately having stability. I think they're really like, I've traveled, I've been in different places, but one of the constants for me where I felt settled was just being really being around loved ones, but but having that ultimately a community or stability in my life.
1: It's a great and concise answer. I love what you're saying there. You're talking about people, you're talking about community and that stability and all those things are, are huge. And as usual, you're not talking about four walls and a roof. So thank you for that. Uh, you're, you're known by many in this sector, but for those who might not know you, can you talk a little bit about your journey into the sector?
0: Yeah, I think I'm probably similar to many people in our sector who, who kind of fell into the work. Um, I just mentioned before, being from Australia, um, my background and education background was probably more, um, well, not probably more, but was in the legal field. I, I, I grew up, had a strong interest in international law, human rights law, really more of a social justice background and um, you know, that led me to a law degree and initially practicing um, in Australia. But when I came to Canada, um, my first role was with an organization called BC Housing and uh, hadn't done a lot of homelessness-based work before, but really was a bit of a crash course um, in being exposed to this work and particularly BC that really um, has, has struggled um, with homelessness and uh, a and housing crisis. Um, So I was at BC Housing for a period of time and then went into the nonprofit sector and uh, have worked with uh, several nonprofits on the way to my current one, uh, where I'm now um, Chief Executive Officer of an organization called Coast Mental Health, um, where I've been, you know, fairly new, coming up on a year, um, but an amazing organization, which I'll probably tell you a little bit more about a little bit later. But, um, you know, just uh, the work is is incredible incredibly taxing, but just so rewarding. And so like many people, as I say, that find themselves in this sector, once you're in, you kind of get stuck and it's hard to leave. It's, um, there's just so many amazing people um, doing this work and so much need.
1: Well, well said. Now, it's, it's interesting when you talk about, uh, in my li- very limited experience, I've chatted with some folks from Australia around homelessness. Um, there's a group, NT Shelter in Australia, In fact, actually he, uh, Peter McMillan came on from empty shelter. Now he's doing a similar podcast in Australia. And what we found out uh, in that podcast too, is that although we are far away distance, the challenges uh, Canada and Australia are very similar with a lot of the social challenges that we do have, including some of the indigenous, uh, atrocities that have happened in, in challenges
0: really similar histories, um, particularly as you say on that Indigenous front, um, Australia's really struggled historically with with our own reconciliation journey. And, um, you know, it's only in recent times that we've been trying to repair and rebuild um, what really has been centuries of atrocities in Australia as well. The other thing, um, the striking similarities that I see really is around also our housing markets, um, you know, it, uh, equally, I think whenever we hear about some of the most expensive places to live or the most desirable places to live, you know, you hear about Sydney, cities like, you know, Vancouver, Sydney, Melbourne. Um, and so we've experienced those drivers on our, on our housing markets, which ultimately has impacted um, housing affordability and therefore homelessness as well. Um, but it, it, was, it was interesting. Like, even though I was exposed somewhat to people experiencing homelessness in Australia, um, I spent a little bit of time in Ottawa uh, studying once and that was really my first eye-opening experience to people that a little bit more street-based um, and visible homelessness um, I think we've, we managed initially to sort of there was a lot of sheltered homeless but I think it was more striking particularly when I came to the west coast and experienced areas like uh, Vancouver and the downtown east side just the visible homelessness it was just at a different level um, to what I'd seen before.
1: Yeah, very much. So I think like, if you look on the, the whole west coast of North America, uh, I mean, just recently reading that the population of people experiencing homelessness in California is equal to all of Canada, if not greater, or actually it's greater. I think it's over 400,000 people in California, uh, experiencing homelessness in Canada. We have it anywhere from 250 to 300,000, very hard to get, of course, uh, yeah. a, a, you know, a real number, um, so yes, and I think as you say visible too, and I think a lot of that has to do with the climate too, or in the visibility where you it's a little more hidden, uh, when the weather is not as favorable, uh, let's talk about your, uh, organization. Now, I think, you know, lots of great things started in 1972. I don't want to say I'm one of them. I might be, I might be 51 years old as well, but you're just celebrated last year, your 50th and this year, you're 51, uh, coast mental health. Tell us a little bit about the great work that uh, you and the team are doing there. What do you do?
0: Yeah, as you touched on, obviously big milestone last year, the 50th anniversary, but, um, you know, Coast Mental Health, um, we're a registered non-profit and charity who for now over 50 years, um, we've been guided by a mission to support, advocate for and promote people living with mental illness. Um, you know, we do this in a range of ways, that that's housing, supports, um, services along with supported employment and training programs, which are really love is that extra piece to really help people um, you know when we talk about reintegration and and solutions to homelessness you know really helping people find meaning purpose you know starting with those basic needs housing and those supports are often a really key piece but really as people progress it's, it's sometimes those employment and training that really help people take those next steps so I really love those aspects um, you know we we operate over a thousand units of housing um, and uh, I think 500 of that is is probably more traditional type supportive housing um, higher supports you know really targeting individuals that are that are houseless or at risk of homelessness um, and living on low um, to, to no incomes um, we also really do a little bit more specialized work around folks that are experiencing um you know, addiction and uh, and mental illness, and particularly co-occurring disorder. So really those that actually, um, that have both um, needs. So more specialised treatment programs, mental health supports. Um, you may have heard of a facility, uh, Riverview Hospital, that was closed back in the 70s. Um, we've still been operating programs out on that, um, that campus for the last two decades, supporting individuals that um, are experiencing either um, significant mental mental illness um, and folks that are also reintegrating from our forensic system.
1: Very cool. I mean, and are there, the, the programs I'm sure that you've run have changed and at, been added to a year over year. Any program, I'm sure you're, you're proud of them all. Any that you're particularly saying, this one's really cool or you want to talk about or, or shed light on? Not to choose I favorites, thought, but you I, might
0: I like the social enterprises. I'm a little bit biased, but, um, you know, we run, Um, A a couple of those as well. One is um, Landscaping with Heart that is providing employment opportunities, um, you know, and then low barrier employment opportunities for people to get into, you know, some of that landscaping, power washing. Um, We run a temporary employment program called the the Street Clean Team. Um, And then we also operate um, something called the Social Crust Cafe, um, which is a really amazing place down on Pender Street in, in Vancouver. Um, again, it's, it, it operates as a, as a storefront and a shopfront cafe. Um, the really cool thing about it was it was this commercial space that came along with um, a 96 unit supportive housing building we operate next door. And so it was a leased land from the city of Vancouver to the province and BC Housing built the building and we got this commercial unit and trying to figure out what do we do with this space. and. Uh, you know, so now it's a, a thriving business a cafe, you know, again, offering people, um, you know, again, all, all the services you would expect from a cafe, but behind the scenes is also this, this amazing culinary training program. Um, so again, I, our team does such great, great work right across the organization, but I think there's always something special about the social enterprises and particularly those employment opportunities as well.
1: Very purposeful giving people purpose um bringing dollars back in that you can then transfer back into the programs the people themselves so very cool congrats on that to you and your team now we hear a a lot right probably in the last 10 15 years even more so people are starting to understand um, that mental health challenges and mental health um, has to be a priority in this country but there are a lot of falsehoods and and stigmas attached to. Let's talk, you know, can you help our listeners? Like what are some of those stigmas and can you help us debunk some of those?
0: Yeah, I think as much as we've made progress around mental health and mental health awareness, and I think COVID, definitely that started to become more of the conversation. And so despite the fact that there is more awareness now of mental health and those that have experienced uh, mental illness or continue to experience sort of mental health challenges, there's a lot of myths and stigma still still associated. I mean, some of the ones I heard even most recently during some of our election campaigns out here on the West Coast is particularly around the association with mental health and those and issues of violence or, or you know, or individuals being dangerous, um, you know, when really the majority of individuals with mental health conditions are, are not, in fact, violent. In fact, most of them or many of them are, in fact, more likely to be the victims of violence than, than perpetrators. So... You know people with mental health challenges are diverse and come from all walks of life um, just like anyone else however it always is this media portrayal um, that often sensationalizes you know that sensationalizes you know this particular stereotype um, which ultimately also then perpetuates further fear and 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 misunderstandings around folks that experience mental illness um that's that's a probably a big one i mean i think the second one is one that's probably more long-standing that, You know, when we see folks that are experiencing homelessness, you know, this correlation, we always assume, well, it's because you use drugs or it's because, you know, you had mental illness, um, you know. And so, no, not all people experiencing mental illness, sorry, experiencing homelessness have a mental illness, um, you know, for sure there is a subset of individuals. um, And and often it's those that have that unmet um, need or, or treatment around, you know, a diagnosed condition or undiagnosed condition. Um, but I think it's just really important to understand, you know, that there is a whole range of things. And I know you talk about this a lot, Michael, um, you know, the factors that lead to homelessness, you know, there's, there's, there's actually no two paths, no two journeys are the same. And the more you speak to folks that have experienced homeless, you just see like, um, people you would never have expected to end up, um, without housing, um, you know, couldn't possibly had everything going for them. Um, just how quickly and how, how, how close, in fact, we all are um, from a job loss, income reduction, um, your house, again, if you're renting, your landlord selling your home, not being able to re-enter the market. It's just, it's amazing how vulnerable s- such a high proportion of, of individuals are. The really question from that point is, you know, some of us have more social capital than others and other things to rely on to help us get back on our feet. Um, but for many, just how quickly things can unravel.
1: Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the Greater Toronto Area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Well, in Vancouver and Toronto, to afford a one bedroom apartment you need to make an hourly wage of $33 an hour if you need a two bedroom apartment it's $44 an hour now i i'm not what the minimum wage in ontario i think it's about 15 going up to 16 soon so you know less than half of that uh, vancouver i'm sh- sure is around par around that 1675 i think we've yeah. just moved to yeah so we're at 50% of what we actually need to make that living wage to go up. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, very, very tough. And you're right. You know, I, I think recently I remember talking to, uh, Mary Ann Bedard when she was general manager of, uh, housing for the city of Toronto. And she said, but 80% of people that entered the shelter system, it's one time and they never see them again. And as well, many of those people said, if I just had the right income, you wouldn't have seen me in the first place. Right. So there is, and then there's the 20%, you know, that chronic with different needs yeah. right in there the other piece too i would say to people that uh you know all of us have two things we have mental health we have physical health right and uh so you know that could be very precarious if you didn't have mental health challenges if you're spending night after night on the street and you're nutrition deprived and you're sleep deprived and we used to do this um we used to do this event or they still do it when i was at 360 kids it was middle of the winter and a youth would say, this was my experience. You go live it for a night. And it was, and adults failed miserably. This is super hard. And it was, it is. And they would say the next day, they say, I'm a mess. Like I slept terribly. I can't focus. I was impatient. I like, imagine doing that for months at a time, what that would do to you and how quickly you could get back on track. If you were at a home to rest and get healthy in. Right. So I think sometimes that stigma too, where it goes hand in hand is because, people's mental health has, you know, a, a has gotten worse because they haven't had a safe place to go home. And even and more so with youth, they may turn to um, trying to, you know, substances to try and self-medicate right to help with that.
0: Well, and, and this is the thing. And why I think there is so much confusion is what comes first, you know, like if you did not have um, mental health challenges or a diagnosed mental illness, or you did not use substances before you were homeless, you spend a week, a month, a year on the streets and you're you're the likelihood that you have or you will. I mean, and that's where we see in sort of the homelessness data that, um, you know, that we see upwards of 60% of people that are, you know, more chronic homeless have an addiction, you know, 50% of people have a diagnosed mental illness, you know. And so, in fact, the bigger challenge is the longer you spend on the streets, the harder it is then and the more array of issues, again, the the more likely it is that they've experienced violence or other traumas, the more likely it is that their health has also rapidly deteriorated. So those other comorbidities that, and this is why, you know, it's, um, it's such a frustration that we talk about things like, you know, homelessness prevention or rapid rehousing. I mean, I think there still is this cohort and probably this 25% that may not have been uh, unhoused for more than sort of, you know, a month or two. And so if just, you know, we could rapidly rehouse um, where there are other things going for people before, quite frankly, things continue to unravel. I mean, that they're, they're probably the ones that you, you really should rally around and do everything we can to sort of just quickly intervene and, and house. Um, whereas others, you know, we, we are seeing some of the data out here is, you know, chronic homelessness is increasing. And so as part of that, quite frankly, the solutions are getting more difficult. It's more difficult to engage, even to try and bring people inside. And when you do, the needs are so great that our models and our systems just, quite frankly, aren't adequately responding to it.
1: And then you throw in new things like we're quite proud as a country for all the new Canadians we bring in, but having the infrastructure, as you said. So my team at Blue Door has talked about how wonderful it is working with new Canadians. Uh, Unfortunately, they're, they're coming into our shelter system, but they're happy to help. But the needs are different. And as you said, we are kind of running to play catch up to meet the needs. And it's around maybe legalities, understanding the system or healthcare and that kind of thing, rather than what we were doing quite typically over the years um, with uh, people experiencing homelessness. So always changing. We always have to be adapting and uh, even more so these days as well. Um, and that's, that's a good link. We talk about healthcare, okay? So, so in your mind, we've talked about this a lot uh, on the show too. Like how important is it to link people exiting healthcare and treatment systems uh, to housing immediately, and and why is it why is this such a big deal? I mean, I think I know the answer, but I want to hear it from you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you, you mentioned that we talk about it a little bit. I I, I wish we talked about it more because, I, frankly, I think we might be doing something more about it if we did. But you know, I, I really think there are these huge silos that exist between our healthcare and housing systems, and 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 we constantly hear about. People that are frequently dropped um, and incredibly vulnerable as they cycle in and out of, you know, emergency departments, and uh, you know, really, it's an overall lack of coordination and integration in my in, in my view, um, which which has significant impacts on individuals' over you know overall well-being, particularly those that are already vulnerable and experiencing complex needs. And so, it's the hospitals are the obvious ones. Like you've, we've we've all heard stories about them. And, and again, as a you know, we. Just, formerly operating shelter services you know and we'd have people that would show up either from a taxi or at your doorstep still in a hospital gown you know or still with you know the bracelets on and things like that um you know even in supportive housing it was happening you didn't get any discharge summaries you didn't know why they had been hospitalized or what their needs were upon release um and so that's just the example of more of the emergency services but what strikes me is even, you know, when people are exiting treatment as well. So whether that's, you know, from mental health or or addiction treatment programs, it's almost like the health system sees, okay, this 30, 60, you know, whether it's six, nine months program, okay, our job is it's from this time you arrive to the time you complete this program. And then they just don't seem to care what happens to people. Like we even receive um, discharge, like so, you have to complete these these what, what are called early discharge sort of forms and things like that. Where would people go if they left early? Like when your referrals from health authorities are saying shelter as as basically um, the location where people would go should they need to leave early, you can't even guarantee a shelter bed anymore. And so, you know, it's just it's so frustrating for me, particularly as a provider operating treatment programs, and we struggle with this as well. Like you see people progress, you see people from where they were, and, and, and quite frankly, a third of people coming into programs might've been unhoused. So, so housing at the end of the day is a really important piece, but so is addressing those substance, you know, again, this, the substance use and mental health needs. Um, but, but I see that what it does to people's minds towards the end of the programs, they start stressing out about where they're going next. And if it's just a 30 or a 60 or a 90 day program, I just feel for people when you just have no continuity of care or any semblance of why am I doing all of this when quite frankly, I'm facing homelessness at the end of the day. So again, like you've got people on a track, engaged in care, receiving service. I just think, again, it's such an easy opportunity, just like where people are in a hospital and we can better facilitate a safer discharge. Like why aren't we doing more? Uh,
1: Well said, well said. It's what we, so, we recently with a hospital in um, in Ontario, we've been working with them. We actually have something called the in-reach worker, where they go in and exactly for that reason, because I mean, despite, there's a lot of wonderful people, awesome people in healthcare, it's just, they are overwhelmed and busy and they're like, all right, I'm doing the job, then I'm moving on to the next person because they need my care too. Very difficult. And They were saying, you know, when we, we just, we don't have the room, we don't have the space, we, we're overwhelmed. And so they link this, they link individuals who have questions or might have needs to so this in-reach worker who then puts them in touch with the right services. So it's more of a you say like a warm transfer, right? So it isn't that cold transfer you're talking about. And we've had some great success with it. And because that, you know, housing is health, health is housing. They overlap so much. And we've got some great physicians too that understand that across the country. Uh, one of the Dr. Lou, we had on here from Calgary, who said, I was tired of seeing same faces in the er every day who i knew by name you know and and basically me just discharged i was part of the problem so i wanted to become part of the solution and now they have a program where they discharge you to housing and and, and he said and it's do, you you could duplicate this anywhere in the country we'll tell you how so you're you're right we've got to do better um because then if we don't we're just cyclical right we're just basically doing it all over again and again and no one and, and we're, we're you know not getting the people to help they truly truly need But it's important
0: you touch on michael like there are solutions and again i've I've followed that story through social as well like i I, you know i just and this is why these conferences and you know canadian alliance to end homelessness and things like that coming up later this year like where we can share these practices and what you know whether they're pilots or programs that are launching um you know there's some great work going on across the country um how do we better understand capture that you know sometimes you know globally we're learning from and looking at models but there's stuff happening in our own backyards that sometimes I think we we, we we seem to want a desire to have our own homegrown solutions or governments want to be seen to sort of, you know, you know we've developed this response where we can just be looking to our neighbours sometimes to have some clues as to what might be working over there.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Like you, you really don't have to be uh, super original. You can look around if people are pretty I mean, everyone wants to share, right? I mean, one of the big, when we started our, the program we were doing, I mean, for the first three three years, it was funded by uh, TD Bank, right? Not by healthcare, not by, but we were able to prove something and now we've had some government support come on to continue, which is wonderful. But we had to go outside of what you would think, healthcare systems to get it done. Right. And we, we welcome that support uh, to, to do it. So it's it's also it's just building the building the case. You know, and I'm a strong believer and let's just let's just roll, find some funding and prove it. So it's very hard. To, it's harder to look away. Um, well,
0: and, and maybe just one quick plug, Michael, when you talk about solutions, one project that uh, is getting underway over here in B.C. is something called the Road to Recovery Initiative. And um, again, it was thanks to philanthropic support, you know, one one family that I think it was about a $40 million donation, but really it was a trigger to say, hey, we have, again, you talked about sort of the hospitals and, and docs that have seen these, these individuals cycling through. Well, St Paul's Hospital, which is really the epicentre in Vancouver that seems to experience a lot of this activity. But people have long complained about the fact that they can't access detox quickly. Um, that the fact that when they go to detox, they have to then wait for a treatment bed when they need to go through treatment, they've got nothing at the end of that stay. And so this really great initiative that's underway, I think it's under the banner of Providence Healthcare through St Paul's Hospital really is to aim towards more of a seamless transition for folks that are coming into the hospital, that are seeking detox withdrawal management services to quickly connect them with those or stabilization services to then progress to treatment under the same roof. um, And then ultimately partnering now around some of the reintegration and so housing being part of that and other community-based supports that will help follow people after that journey a piece that's often so missing so i mean these are the projects i love um seeing and, and trying to get involved in and um again just uh have to do a plug for where i where i'm seeing stuff that i think could really have an impact that's that's one thing that definitely will be following closely
1: no and yeah. hey, please do that's a great plug and i love it when you know uh we find different ways of making the right thing happen so that's very very cool so thanks for uh, letting us know about that we talked we touched a little bit about homelessness on the west coast of canada uh growing tough very expensive uh vancouver toronto the two most expensive uh, uh places to live uh in our country uh, talk to me about how's that changed in the last 10 years yeah
0: well when um Oh, I mentioned earlier. I first came to um, to Vancouver in 2010, just after the Winter Olympics, actually. And uh, you know, things were a little bit different then in terms of sort of what the needs and how it was presenting. I think the biggest thing we were really seem to be struggling with was um, was moving people to more long term housing options. You know, so it was it was just this gap of this purpose built rental that just you know didn't didn't exist. And we've talked a lot about now how the federal government had exited the housing game and 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 the toll was starting to pay back then, but I but we still managed to be able to get people into basement suites and things like that. Like we still found rents at like six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month. You just can't get anything for under fifteen hundred a month now, um, in those same settings. Um, but more than that, I think the challenge we've got now is um, the needs. So if you, if you're again, if you go into a shelter or supportive housing or do street-based outreach, um, people are just Really unwell, um, and I think the needs and the acuity of people's conditions um, has really grown over the last decade. And again, I, I mentioned before a couple of stats around sort of you know one of the last Metro Vancouver homeless counts. But um, you know we're now in a situation where we we have a housing crisis. We 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 we've got a declared public health emergency in BC here around the drug poisoning crisis. You now there is an undeclared mental health crisis. Like all of these things are sort of coming together. Um, to create some real challenges despite, you know, government is trying. You know, there have been some record investments in in housing and homelessness supports and mental health and addiction, Um, but we're just struggling to catch up. And and I think, you know, we're we're firefighting. It's one of those kind of drinking out, you know, the end of a hose, um, you know, and it's, you know, unfortunately many things just aren't working because we're trying to do the best we can or quickly or there's band-aids where we really just need a little bit more comprehensive supports um you know one of the biggest struggles that i i sort of see is and it's really again back around this mental health and addictions piece like housing is a really incredibly important first step but it almost seems like now we get people housed and it's end of story you know that we somehow think that you know we get people off the streets or out of a shelter and hey i have a housing unit but when, again, that 60% of people that are suffering from a substance use disorder or 50% with mental illness, you put them in an apartment that, yes, it's supported by having two staff 24 hours a day, but no mental health supports or substance use supports. Like, and in a large congregate setting, like, people aren't getting better. And, in fact, in Vancouver, we're seeing now stats, and this isn't new, but like 45% of all drug deaths and in the drug poisoning crisis in Vancouver are occurring in supportive housing, SROs, hotels. So in fact, like we're seeing people coming from the streets where they're actually a little bit safer, more response. They're going, you know, like many people behind closed doors where over eighty percent of people are dying. Um, like I just, yeah, I just question our models and our responses where you, you like to think when people come into your care and into your programs that they're getting service, um, and this is this is no one's fault. But we have to read we have to acknowledge that and start doing something about that. And I really think it's about how our housing models are being equipped with these health, you know, to address what, are you know, health issues, um, because it's really tough for whether you're a shelter provider, the same thing, you're experiencing this for, you know, the incredible needs of people walking into your shelter um, and they're not changing when they walk, move into housing. So it's just, I think we just, you know, what we always think about is having shelter as a basic, hundred percent, but we just have to continue to progress and really provide meaningful supports for people. And and I think we're falling short in that piece.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree. I, and I, and I hear you said, the streets are never in a sense, a better place to be, but I think, you know, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but one of the things people talk about when you talk about overdoses is that the police and others will say, if you're going to use, make sure you have some friends around. So if things do go south, you know, and and, and unfortunately when you're in sport of housing, sometimes on your own, you don't have that support network. So if something does go wrong, uh, someone's there with Nillax owner to report it. Right. So yeah, in a congregate, when you're around a bunch of people, they can save your life. Um, and sometimes that, so, so really we have to think of, of different models. And I know even in Toronto, some of the hotels have got some good models around room checks, uh, every couple of hours because of that, right. Because they are saying, Hey, we need to, and here's why. You just want to make sure you're. But I always talk about, you know, with people, housing is a large part of it, yes, but it's housing with different supports for different populations. Uh, I have to talk about when we have men come in uh, a shelter where they're there, they might be there for a month to three months. And then, so now they've got 30 buddies, they've got staff who care about them every day. They've got, and are, you know, if you don't come back, people are worried about you. You have meals, you're, and then we put you in housing where no one's asking about you, you all your friends are gone. To, the people, the family, the staff that you grew to love are are no longer there now, you you know, and so then you see people cycling back in the shelter system because that's not the housing that met their needs. Right? So it's different housing for different groups. And there is, as we hear that quite often, there's no silver bullet. There's a bunch of different silver bullets, right? For people that will, will help solve this uh, moving forward for sure.
0: But you touched on as well, Michael there, and a really important word community. And so, you know, it's, um, you know, it's that place where you feel safe, where you've got people around you, people who care if you're not there, people to check in on you, um, you know. And, and again, I think there's some really great examples of supportive housing and housing models that get that right. Um, you know, it's just, I think it's 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 incredibly, again, it's an incredibly tough ask, I think, for housing providers today. Again, given the enormity of the challenge and the complexity of needs sometimes, um, you know, like, It's, you know, and I think it's just where the volume and such concentration of needs goes into one place. I mean, I just think it's a really tough ask and maybe it's a question of, you know, not having such large numbers and large buildings. Maybe it's, you know, a question, as you say, different supports for different needs. I mean, you know, we we don't probably talk enough about how, you know, folks, you know, seniors that are experiencing homelessness don't always feel safe coming into some supportive housing environments. You know, if you're a young adult you know, is that the best place for you to be? You know, again, a, a woman who's experienced violence, you know, like no, a, a large, congregate mixed-gender setting probably isn't the safest environment for you.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've we've seen like in our men's program at Blue Door, it's it's really 16 to 100, at very different needs of that span, right, of having people together, and that can be conflictive too. Uh, we we finally, after you know, not one but two different surveys in New York region where the 2SLGBTQ plus community was saying, we do not feel safe in uh, the, the shelters that are available, housing programs that are available. So we were able to develop a housing program to meet the needs they were uh, describing. And, and so, yeah, we, I think we have to continue to do that. It's a challenge, but I, I think as a as a country, we're up to it and I have great confidence that you know, with leaders like yourself and others that you talked about across this country around the world, that we are making progress. and. And it's a, you know, it's a solvable issue. Now, uh, you and I could talk about this forever, uh, but, you know, you're doing great work at Coast Mental Health. If people want to learn more or maybe they want to donate or support or volunteer, uh, where can they go to make that happen?
0: Yeah, the best, the best place is probably the website at coastmentalhealth.com. Um, we are on most social channels as well, but um, definitely to learn more about the organization and the work, um, we're doing and, and and how to get in touch perhaps with the foundation to support the work um, that's where our direct people
1: awesome well thank you so much for all of you and your team are doing uh, with your work thanks for taking the time on your busy schedule to join us today uh, thanks for all you do
0: pleasure thanks Michael
1: take right, care we'll see you next time on the way home thanks.